Thank you, Kristen, on piano. Oh my gosh. So good. It was a little, little fanciness. Hey guys, so we're going to start a, a new series today. Is that popped up? Yeah. We're going to start a new series. It's called Some Assembly Required. And um, I just liked this picture of a typewriter. You don't actually buy a typewriter and have to put it together. But I just thought it was a cool picture with all the pieces. Um, we're going to do, if you saw, Jen was like, let's do something fun with the kids before and after church. Like, let's buy a bunch of Legos and like set them up outside and kids can build stuff. And so if you get to church early... Your kids can play with Legos, and I was thinking we could even, like, take pictures of stuff and, like, put them up. Like, this is what our kids made, just in the fellowship. And adults. Kids and kids at heart. Um, what, what do I mean, though, by some assembly required? Well, I, I love the idea of someone who makes something, and then for various reasons, so. It's like this cost-benefit balance where the benefit is the manufacturing and everything, but then you, you get an extra savings in the cost because you have to put in some of your own labor. <laughs> you have to like put in the elbow grease to get the thing that you bought. Now, if I were to say, like, what's an example of some assembly required? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Man, everybody said Ikea. Exactly. It's almost like I knew you were going to say Ikea, so I put an Ikea picture in there. <laughs> Ikea is the perfect example of this because they make all this furniture, they design all this furniture, and then they build these gigantic stores that you go and you can look at all the furniture, built, assembled, but then when you buy it, you don't get to take that thing home. They send you with a tag and they give you a box. Now here's a, here's a great example of this. This is like a kid's bunk bed. And what's funny is it's, it's reversible. So you can like have it as a bunk bed, or you can flip it over, like is in the picture, and you can do the same. Reversible bunk bed thing. And it's big. It's a big thing. Now, if IKEA headquarters in Sweden fully manufactured these bunk beds that are like this big, and then had to ship them fully assembled to America, and then stock them on a, on a shelf somewhere, and then you had to like go to the store and pick it out and get a truck big enough to take the whole bunk bed home, how many bunk beds would they sell in America? Probably like zero. But what's awesome about Ikea is that when you buy this thing, it comes in these two boxes, and each one is three and a half inches thick. And so you can fit it in your car, you can take it home, but then what? Then the adventure begins, where you have some stuff to do. It's simple in theory, but it's not easy. I even found a story from Sweden where someone bought some Ikea furniture, but while they were trying to put it together, the neighbors thought someone was being murdered, so they called the police on them. And the police showed up and was like, what's going on? And they're like, I just hate this stupid thing that I have to put together now. <laughs> Actually happened. The cops came and was like, is someone dying? No, I'm just trying to put together some Ikea furniture. 
And we have to be careful because here in America, we love to buy things that are made in the USA. And so much so that they've even had to get very specific about what does that even mean. And so if you buy something and it says made in the USA, there's like literal like laws and regulations like covering what does that mean? And if, if you fake it, that you can get in a lot of trouble. And so now they have made in, a, in the USA. They have assembled in the USA. They have like, you can lay, lay out like how much is it made. If you really want to say made in America, but it's not all made in America, you can put like 60% made in America. And then if you buy something and it has a, a sticker of a U.S. flag on it, but it doesn't say made in the USA or assembled in the USA, like usually they're like, they're just trying to trick you. Like, we'll just put a flag on it, and hopefully people think it's made in the USA when it's obviously not, because we would have said that. But, if, if, let's say you bought the Ikea bunk bed, and people come over, and you're like, come, come let me show you this uh, bunk bed I built for the kids. I, I built it. I made it myself. And you walk in, and you see your friend has, an, obviously, an Ikea bunk bed with some, like, Swedish name and the umlauts and, like, the all this stuff, you'd be like, oh, I thought you said you made it. You're like, I did make it. It's like, well, you didn't make it. You just bought it and put it together. And it would come a, be a little disingenuous, right? If you were like, I built this. And you're like, well, you assembled it. <laughs> and so we want people to be honest about, like, this was, this was made in Mexico, but it was assembled here in the good old U.S. of A. And we can work with that. We're like, that's authentic, and that's how... That's how it went down. I hope you see where I'm going with this. Because there are things in our Christian walk that God made. He designed. He crafted. He's the one who's the builder. But then, for whatever reason, and sometimes I don't, I wish he wouldn't do this, but he does. For whatever reason, he gives it to us and says, now you put it together. And so, my... my, thing that kept rattling around in my head is this is made in heaven but assembled in the church like this is God's brain manifest in this idea that he then gives to us and says now put it together now we talked and there's some work involved and we talked when we did Ephesians 2 we talked about works and I hope I made that very clear this does not earn you God's love but I love thinking about it this way that God made this thing. He built this thing. He designed this thing. Then he gave it to us with the expectation that we would put in some work yeah. and put it together. And so, I have five things that we're going to look at for the next five weeks. Five things. Jen and I were talking about it, and I was like, uh, man, like, help me like, work this out in my brain. Like, what are some examples of things that require the extra step on our half on our behalf, like to, to assemble it, to put it together. To put it into practice is another way to think about it. But God did all the work, and then he gave it to us to bring to completion. That's another way to... So here's, here's the five things that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. First one, community. This means, in a word, this means relationships. Friendships, having people in your life. The, the tribe, the family. God made that, and this is today's lesson. We're going to look at community. God made it, but then he gave it to us and said, hey, 
You got to do, you got to work on this. You got to put it together. Uh, The next thing we're going to look at is communion. And this is the more personal, uh, our relationship with Jesus. Communion with Jesus, our covenant relationship with God. And this also includes all the aspects of our growing and maturing. We can kind of wrap all of that, that, that gaining knowledge and insight. And I want, to, I want to add to my knowledge, faith, and all these things. I want, to, I want to grow in my communion with Christ. And so God designed all that and he gave it to us and said, get to work. We are going to look at justice. This is a part of God's nature that is, uh, as, as image bearers, we live in a dark world, and God wants us to shine light around in the world. And so God's like, hey, I have an idea of what right and wrong is, but I need people who will be my ambassadors to demonstrate this. And that's, there's a lot to it, and we're going to look at that. Uh, the, f- the fun one that maybe some of you might be like, really? But we're going to have fun with it, is creation care. This is the conservation and stewardship of our natural resources like land, animals, plants, water, uh, people, all of that. Taking care of the thing that God gave us. He Literally in Genesis, he's like, here, take care of this thing I made. And this is a perfect example. We're like, maybe we should like, take care of this thing he made. And then lastly, we're going to look at evangelism. Seeking and saving the lost. We're going to look at the rescue mission for humanity Saving, rescuing people from slavery to sin, and helping people see the benefits of Jesus' way of life. So it's kind of like all, all, if you just looked at this list, you'd be like, I can't see a common thread through that. Like, what do these things have to do with each other? And I'm admitting, like, they're kind of like out there and all over the board. But one thing that I believe unifies them is the fact that, that these are things that were made in heaven. God created these things, and they're actually part of his nature, and yet... He gives them to us in like an unfinished form. And so if we want to partner with God and be, be workers in his kingdom, we're going to have to say, I'll take that on. I'll, I'll do the work, God. All the while knowing it doesn't earn us anything. It doesn't earn us God's love. So today, let's jump right in. We're going to look at community. Sorry, that was kind of a long intro. But that's the intro for the whole series. And now we're going to look at the first one, community. And guys, I've been, I mean, I'm, I feel like I've been talking about this for the last three years. There's no way we're going to be able to like cover everything about community and a sermon. But my hope is that this is, this is the thing that we're going to talk about all year long. That the idea of rich, real community is something that's like is percolating up through our conversations and through our discussions and our teaching and our, our everything, all, all the time. So that by the end of this year, if we committed to really doing the sum assembly required, we could get to the end of this year and be like, man, my relationships and my trust and my love for people is, is markedly higher than it was at the beginning of the year. Because I put in the effort. I worked on it. And I can see the product of that. Amen? Point number one. Community by design. And this gets back to, this is like, you know, 
Ikea as God. He, over in Sweden, like making all these things and drawing all these goofy uh, instruction manuals and making sure they put in enough Allen wrenches for you. But, like, but God designed the idea of community. And you could go so far as to say that he embodied the idea of community. I love the very beginning of Genesis, starting at the end of verse, chapter 1 and in, in, in chapter 2. We see this. This points to the communal nature of who God is. He said, God said, let us make, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule the earth and goes on. And say, but, but the plural here is amazing. God speaks of himself in the plural, and he speaks of mankind in the plural. Let us make, not Adam, but let's us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they can go on and do these things. And then we all know uh, the story of Adam and Eve. Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And, and yet, it's very easy to have a version of Christianity that is extremely, we make all of these singular. God is a guy, and I am a guy, and we, I have no commitment to other people, and I can, I can still, it can still be me and God without anybody else. And we can think, it's actually great for me to be alone. I thrive when I'm alone. I do better when I don't have anyone else around me. Unwise. It's unwise. And we see that in the New Testament. I'm going to show a slide I've showed many times. I don't expect you to be able to read it. I just like the impact of it. These are the, the 59 one another verses in the New Testament. And I love just seeing the totality of this body of work because it reminds me that, that Christianity and even the covenant relationship with, with God was never, was never designed to just be an individual thing. You know, we, we like to say now, like, oh, it's my personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not in the Bible. And we have, to, we have to be willing to accept the fact that maybe the thing that God designed for us that we now call church is really much more community-driven, communal, collectivist. It's much more about our relationships with people than it is my personal ability to obey and stay out of trouble. Which we should obey and stay out of trouble, guys. But we have to be careful that we don't turn it into just this very individualistic thing. And so there's this, this great book written by these two women. It, it, it is, it's technically a Christian book, but it, they, were, um, they were interviewed on like GMA and the Today Show and everything. But um, it's this book, I'll Be There, But I'll Be Wearing Sweatpants. And it's, it's these two women, they were like, hey, it's just about how to be good friends and build good friendships. And there's this chapter about the lies about friendship that I almost fell for. And there's some good ones. If any of these like perk your interest, um, you know, buy the book. But the one that 
that's really stood out to me is this uh, friendship is an extra, not a necessity. And so I pulled that out, and I just want to read it. Lie number six, friendship is an extra, not a necessity. We've treated friendship like a luxury for far too long. Friendship isn't a luxury, it's essential. We need people. We need connection. We need to belong. It even affects our life expectancy. In my opinion, that means we don't wait to invest in it when we have time. It means we invest in it now because it's a really, really big deal. I think subconsciously, we have friendship far down our mental checklists. It needs to be near the top. Not lost after busy schedules, soccer practice, and chores. Those things are important, but they're not more important than having close connection in your life. We don't just want it. We need it. And I think this is a lie about friendship that we can fall for. Like, man... And some of the other ones are really good, too. Like, everybody has good friends except me. It's a lie. We all have goofy friends. <laughs> um, I just want us to know, it's, it's, it's like hardwired into our DNA. Like, we are designed for connection and for friendship, for relationships. When we don't have them, bad things happen to us. Yeah. Have you ever seen the show Alone? It's like a survival reality show where they send people out to like live off the land. It's not a show about staying alive. It's a show about dealing with the loneliness of being isolated. And some, of, some people can't handle it. People who are great, you know, bushcrafters and homesteaders and, you know, survivalists, they can't stand being out there completely isolated. And it's eye-opening to watch because they give up. They're like, nope, I'm done. I don't want to go home and miss my kids. But that's good. It's good to miss your kids. Here's my, here's my question for us. What is hindering me from embracing God's design for community in my life? What are the things that are standing in my way? And, you know, I had to, like, really think about this myself. Like, what is hindering me from embracing this? And I feel like I'm pretty open to the idea of, like, God's design for community. And yet I still had to, like, analyze, like, you know, sometimes I'm just really selfish. I just want to be by myself and, like, not deal with people. Sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes, you guys, you're, you're selfish too. <laughs> we, can, we can be honest about that. Sometimes we give and then we're like, I'm done giving. I'm done giving. We just have to be careful when those, those times where we're like, man, I need to rest, start to turn our heart in a dangerous direction towards indulgence and selfishness. Now, now, we're, now we're moving just away from I need to rest to like, man, I want, get me away from you people. Then my heart's not right. And then I'm missing out on the, the thing that God built for me and I'm not building it here. I'm not assembling it. And no one else is going to get it from me because we're not putting in the work. So we're going to talk about that. Point number two, building community. Building community with no shortcuts. Because, man, on all of these things, I have found it's really easy to, to skip some steps. Have you ever skipped some steps building an Ikea shelf? 
Have you ever like, and have you ever built it? You thought you did a good job, but you have a lot of leftover pieces. And you're like, well, I hope they gave us a lot, all these extra pieces. I don't know where they go. And then when you sit on it, you're like, oh, I hope this doesn't collapse on me. You've got to build it right. And if you skip steps, if you're only focused on the way it looks, like, well, what I built looks like the picture. That's not the same as building it according to the instructions. And same thing happens with community. So we can, we can see a picture and say, I'm going to make this thing. It looks the same, but it doesn't hold up the same. And so I love this verse. I think I've shared this before. This verse discipled my heart so hardcore as a young man. 1 Peter 1.22 Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And I was, I was, there's a a great brother older than me at the time. I mean, he's still older than me, but really sewed into our lives. Um, Alan and Sandy Aubert, they're now in Austin, Texas. And man, these people, like, took care of me and Jen when we were newlyweds, you know, and dating and stuff. And, and, and he said, hey, bro, I just, I see something in your character. Can I share it? I was like, yeah. He's like, you are, you, I trust that you have a sincere love for people, but what I don't see in you is a deep love from the heart. And he showed me this verse, obviously, and I was like, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> no. Called, I've been, like, God has shown like a spotlight on my heart right now through this verse because he's exactly right. I could easily walk around and be like, hey, you're awesome, bro, sis. You're awesome, you're awesome. Love you guys, love you guys, love you guys. And still, there was like this divide between my heart and their heart. And when, when I was challenged, when I was like, when he said, I just don't see you like really loving people. You have like a love that's up here. And it's sincere. I trust that it's sincere. I don't see you having a deep love from the heart. He's like, that's what I would love to cultivate with you. And it, it started with just me and him. He was like, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to love me and I want to love you deeply. But it changed, literally, it changed the course of my life. Because it always made me think, like, it's easy to say, I love you. <laughs> but it's harder to like, take a piece of my heart out and give it to someone. And so I, have, I just have a little thing. Building community. Everyone starts out as a stranger. I mean, even when we first showed up here, we were like, I don't know any of you. And remember, we talked about hospitality. Hospitality literally means loving strangers. And so you, you meet someone and you're like, I don't know you from anyone. You're a complete stranger to me. But hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest. I'm going to ask you your name. Hey, what do you do? Where are you from? And, and like that, they go from being a stranger to being an acquaintance. And now they're, they're like a little bit closer. I wouldn't say that they're in community with you. But they're acquaintances. And you, you're not going to, you can't skip. <laughs> you can't skip from stranger, like, straight to deep love. You've got to ask people questions about themselves. Acquaintances become friends. Friends become family. That's that sincere love. And then family becomes family. Like, Vin Diesel family. Like, family. 
deep love from the heart. Like we're going to go on adventures together. (laughs) And I would just ask you, think about the people in your life and where they are on this continuum. You do not skip right to the end. Do not assume that you have deeper relationships with people than you really do. Just be honest. Even here in church, like, man, I, I see that I have a lot of friends, but I want to make my love sincere, and then I want to make my love deep. Well, how do we do that? Uh, you know, number one, it's not going to happen without some time. You just got to spend time together. I love when it talks about Jesus uh, bring, getting his disciples together. I'm, he's like, these are the guys he was going to be with. This is who he's going to be with. And so sometimes, I, guys, time is a miraculous thing. Time does a lot of stuff. I've always said, like, quantity, quality time is good, but quantity time is sometimes better. And I remember when we led the teens, honestly, just having teens come over and play video games all night, and they're like, he's my best friend. Like, you literally, like, I, I love that, that that works, that you're like, man, you just bonded. But at some point, you, you have to invest time, but at some point you have to start sharing your life. Got to start saying, man, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is how I see the world, how do you see the world? You know, asking questions, and just sharing. And if you, if you refuse to do that, you can get, almost guarantee it's never going to, You're never going to get to deep love from the heart. And then there's a step that my wife is so good at reminding me of all the time, uh, is that you're going to have to start thinking about people when you're not with them. And that's what that consideration is. When we're not around, I I think about you. And I consider you. And then (laughs) when we get together, man, sometimes that looks like I wrote you a card because that shows, and you know, to me, I don't really, I'm not a big card guy. And so if you give me a card, what, what you're giving me is a, is a token of your consideration. Like you thought about me when, you, when I wasn't in front of your face. Um, and, and gifts and stuff like that. Or like, you know, sending a text like, hey, I, happy birthday. It's consideration. And then the last one is Service. And I mean service as in, like, sacrifice. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give of my time and energy and effort and any, all of it rolled up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give of myself for your benefit. I think I told you guys the story of uh, when, I, when I got converted, I was um, homeless and unemployed. I had nothing to my name. Well, I had a, I had a little Geo Metro filled with a bunch of junk, <laughs> It was like my car and all my belongings were in this little jelly bean of a car that I drove over. And so I'm crashing at Jen's parents' basement in fear of my life because they hated me at the time. <laughs> and, um, and then I meet this guy who's like, hey, do you want to uh, come out to church? And would you like to study the Bible? And then they said, like, so where are you staying? I was like, I'm hiding in my, my girlfriend's parents' basement. And he says, would you like to, I've talked to my roommates, would you like to move in with me? I was like, I've known you for a week. 
Uh, but he did. And I got there, and I was like, I'll just crash on the couch. He's like, he's like, no, I want you to take my bed, and I'll sleep on the couch. And I was like, who is this weirdo? <laughs> what I didn't realize, and so that's Chad Taylor, who you guys have seen. He's come here. He's preached. Chad Taylor. He, he, uh, the girl, the girl that was with Chad when we all met, she went to high school with me, and I had like a crush on her in high school, and, and Chad kind of liked her, and so he was, he was just honest and open, like, man, I'm kind of nervous about this Ben guy, because she might like him, and I'm like, I kind of like her. It was weird. We were all like 20 years old, but someone said, hey, you know what you need to do to like bond your heart to this guy? You need to serve him in some way. Like, like, really, like, serve him, give, do something to serve him. And so when I showed up at his house, he was like, you can have my bed, I'll crash on the couch. And I was like, oh, wow. And then the next night, I was like, all right, I'll crash on the couch tonight. He's like, no, 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 you, you take the thing, it's fine. Guys, I'm not kidding. For, I had that bed until we got married. He just gave me his bed. That, that brother slept on the floor for months. And... And yet, his heart and my heart, from that moment to today, are like bonded through what started as a silly act of service. And I'm, and I'm telling you almost this as a warning. If, if you want the deep love from the heart, but you refuse to go that extra mile of serving people, sacrificially giving, it will probably always stay elusive. You might, you might go your whole life try, like, with that sincere love, but you've never, like, served, like, bonded, like, given. So I would just encourage you, think of ways. Think of ways that you can, like, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to get a deep love for you, so what can I do to give you of my heart? There's a crazy story over Christmas. I don't know if you heard it. There were lots of flights canceled this Christmas, guys. I don't know if you heard this story. There's a bunch of people in Florida that were trying to get to Tennessee, and the flight was canceled, and it wasn't, the next flight wasn't for, like, after the weekend. And these 13 complete strangers, all just because they were, like, gathered around the desk, and they were like, you're stuck here. They said, hey, let's all rent a van and drive to, drive to, I think, Nashville or Chattanooga or something. Let's drive, let's drive to Tennessee. And one girl, uh, she, like, live-streamed all this on TikTok. And it went viral. And this actually down here is when they were interviewed by the news later. National news, because they, they were the purest of strangers. And they knew nothing about it. They had zero common interests, except they were all in point A. They all needed to get to point B but there was nothing, no relationship at all. Some of them were wildly different people. And yet they all said, I'll, I'll get in a van with you and we'll spend the next day and a half or so. Guys, they showed up and they were like best friends. If a van ride from Florida to Tennessee can make friends out of strangers... Do we believe that there's power in the kingdom of God to make friends family members? 
And I do believe that. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to caution us against um, shortcuts, and I'm sorry. This is going a little long. The, um, I, have this, I have this picture. Did anyone ever grow up in a house that had, like, their grandma had, like, a bowl of wax fruit on the dining room table? I never got this trend. Why did people back then have bowls of wax fruit? Seems hilarious to me. But I'm saying this because I've used this analogy when I talk about the fruit of the Spirit. If I were to say, hey, get me, get me a bowl of fruit. The, the, the easiest thing you could do is like go to the store and buy fruit. But imagine if that wasn't an option and you had to go and grow all the fruit in this bowl and, and then could bring it to me. How much time would that take? An, ex, an insane amount of time and to invest and cultivate an environment where fruit can grow. Tend to it and then harvest it and bring it as a present. And this is why I'm, say, I'm saying about shortcuts. Is that it's easy to say, hey, this looks like that. So that's good enough, right? And we bring this bowl of wax fruit. But it doesn't hold up under scrutiny, and, it, and it's actually horrible. But there are shortcuts that we can do on all these things. You can skip some steps, and then you end up with a chair you don't want to sit on. Here are some shortcuts to community. A shortcut to community is relying on meetings to define our relationship. This is a meeting. We can rely on this to define our relationship. It's a shortcut that is dangerous. We have to be very careful. What happens then is we have labels of brother and sister, but without the work of sharing and serving and considering. And if we just slap the label on you, now you're, now you're good, and we're in community. But that community isn't what was God designed in heaven. Another shortcut is pushing people away when we find out they're real people with real problems. Be like, man, as long as you never tell me how it's really going, I'll be your best friend. And that's extreme, but I think you get what I'm saying. It's easier to say, hey, our community's awesome. Just don't bring your, just don't bring your mess in here. And when people start like, well, community is where I should be bringing my mess, we're like, ooh. All of these shortcuts can accelerate the appearance of community while actually ensuring we'll never achieve real community. It's a bowl of wax fruit. So here's my question. Can I, can I focus on journeying with someone towards community? And pick someone. Think of someone in your brain that you like, man, I would really like to go from acquaintance to friend with this person. I'd really like to go from friend to a sincere love for this person. Or I'd really like to go from a sincere love to a deep love with this person. And see it as a journey. And it's going to take time. So there's no way you can skip right to the end. That's the work of some assembly required. Last one. Community for healing. Not just physical healing. Every kind of healing. Health, well-being. Community is a powerful force for good in our lives. And I think when Jesus said, you will have trouble in this life. When he said, uh, 
Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. We're going to have stuff where we're going to be like, man, I could really use some well-being and some healing in my life. And God designed us and community to work in that way. Now, I'm going to talk about Jacob Wilhelm because he's sitting here. But if you want, I'm going to quote some books. If you really want to talk to someone who's really smart and not just me, you can talk to Jacob about this stuff. But Jen and I read, um, or reading the, the Body Keeps the Score, which is a fascinating book about trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. And he says at the beginning, because he's talking about like prescribing drugs for, for trauma-related stuff and that sort of thing. And again, I am not a, prof- a clinical professional in any way. But one of the things he said that stood out to me so profound is he said, our capacity to destroy one another is matched by our capacity to heal one another. Restoring relationships and community is central to restoring well-being. And this isn't a Christian book. This isn't, he's not talking about church. But he's, he's just looking at the world, and he's a great researcher, and he's going, this is what I see. People need people. And this, this book is not about community, but he, he folds that into almost every chapter. I was blown away about how important people are to each other. There's another book called The Body Says No, The Cost of Hidden Stress. And the seven A's of healing were really interesting, but this one was attachment, and it's about connection. It's about people. And I loved it. It says, attachment is our connection with the world. I'm going to skip down to the other highlighted part. Connection is also vital to healing. Study after study concludes that people without social contact, the lonely ones, are at the greatest risk for illness. People who enjoy genuine emotional support face a better prognosis no matter what the disease. Again, this isn't a Christian book. It's just looking out at the world and trying to make sense of it. And something that keeps coming up is, man, we need people. We need each other. Now, there is a letter at the end of the Bible called Third uh, John. And it's very short. You can read the whole book in like three minutes. <laughs> very short. But John writes a letter to the, his friend Gaius. And Gaius is going through some stuff. And the church at the time is going through some stuff. I would encourage you, read the book of Third John sometime this week. But what I love is when you read it and you get this glimpse of the love that, Paul, or that John has for Gaius. And I want to show you. This is what he says. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Now he goes on to say, for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. <laughs> and so we don't know everything that's going on with the context of Third John, but, but one thing that stands out so clearly is the relationship that John and Gaius have 
And I just want to ask you guys, do you, would you love it if someone wrote you a letter like this? That said those things to you? That addressed you by my dear friend? I, I love, I love you. You are faithful in what you are doing. Wouldn't you love someone to talk to you like this? And then the, the, the other question is, who can you start to talk to like this? Can you be this for someone else? And this is the way I worded it. Who, who can I bless with the healing power of friendship? There's so much in the, in the scriptures about the power of friendship. And you have this power that you could distribute around the, 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 the family, the community, and the world. You, we all have this power if we choose to exercise it. But man, it takes a lot of work. And it's not going to come easy. And you're going to try. You're going to make a mistake. Someone else is going to try to be a friend to you and they're going to make a mistake. It would be very easy to be like, oh, this is dumb. There's no way. This doesn't work. But here's what I don't want. I have a silly picture here. This is of a guy who just gave up on his Ikea furniture. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to get my book and my cup of coffee, and this is now my living room. And we're just going to chill here, and I'll have, I'll have visitors over, and they can sit on the floor with me. And it is possible. It is possible to do this. I'm not encouraging you. It is possible to go to Ikea, buy some furniture, take it home, and never assemble it. If some of you have some unassembled Ikea furniture at home, just like waiting... <laughs> <laughs> Gary fessed up. I have some unassembled furniture at home. Just sit on the floor with your book and your cup of coffee. And now this is the new normal. And anyone who comes over, it will be very obvious that it is incomplete. It looks a little silly. It looks very uncomfortable. And it's painfully obvious that there is still work to be done. And this is what the church looks like when we receive God's beautiful design for community and then never finish the work. God's dream is of a family with close, safe, trusting relationships where we give to one another in love. Amen? That's all I have for you at this time. Uh, Trevor is going to come up and do our communion. So come on up, Trevor. Thank you, bro.